Today's sermon text is Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. And in this passage, we'll see that, that Paul starts off by talking about prayer. And from his teaching, both here and elsewhere, we, we can see something, I think. We can see that, that it's fine to pray for our physical needs, but more prominent in Paul's prayers, both in, in place and in how often we see them, are his mentions of spiritual issues. This, of course, follows the example of our Lord, who set for us uh, a pattern as he delivered it to his disciples in that Lord's Prayer that we pray together each Sunday morning. And so we can follow Paul as he follows Jesus. And we can learn a lot from Paul's example in this passage, just as we learn from his teaching. Before we look to God's word, though, let's turn our hearts toward him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Our Heavenly Father, we we pray that as we look to your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to know not just your will, but to know you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. This is the inspired word of God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If you were to stop and just take stock of your prayers, what, what would you find? What would, what would we see if we were to really, really examine our prayers? Would they be filled with joyful thanksgiving? Or would they be more like a letter to Santa Claus? You know, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. If, if I'm being honest with you, far too often my prayers are, are like the latter. Far too often as, as I pray, I'm, I'm having a, a steady diet of ward, 
do this. Now, they're not always selfish prayers. It's not always give me this or do this for me. Oftentimes, they're, they're praying for other people, praying for my family, praying for uh, the congregation of this church, praying for other loved ones and neighbors and those in need. And so, so it's not that those prayers are necessarily selfish or wrong, but frankly, there's a lot of do this and not quite as much as there should be anyway of joyful praise and thanksgiving. See, because these, those things that I receive in life, I, I quickly come to just kind of treat as if they are things that I am entitled to. Or perhaps things that I've earned for myself. Things that I've, I've worked hard and I deserve those. And so, so I quickly forget that God is the giver of those things. Paul makes... No such mistake, it would seem here. His example is, is one of thankful, joyful prayer. That's where he starts. It's where we start this passage. It's where he seems to start his prayers. And we should as well for every good gift, James tells us, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We need to remember that we're not owed so much even as the breath that we breathe. That they, even that, is a gift from God and we should give thanks. And so we see Paul in verse 3 here saying, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. In all my remembrance of you. We've looked those first couple weeks, you'll recall this series in Acts 16. And we, we read about Lydia, for instance, and how Paul shared the good news of Christ Jesus with her and how she trusted in Christ Jesus and, and how she and her household became a part of this, this nascent church that was beginning in Philippi and, and how the same occurred with this Philippian jailer who was holding Paul and Silas and who came to see the truth of the gospel. And, and this early in these early days of this church, these people would gather together and, and Paul with them. And they rejoiced in the gospel together. And now as Paul thinks back upon those memories of those, those days, those days spent together, he remembers them fondly. He rejoices in those memories. And he gives thanks to God. Now truth be told, if we look at the Greek of this, of this phrase, it actually, there is some ambiguity. It could be actually kind of understood differently so that the phrase actually might possibly mean I, I thank God in your remembrance of me perhaps referring to a, a gift of remembrance that they sent to Paul but but really either way it's not that important the the point of the matter is that Paul in in the giving and the receiving and in the relating one to another and the love that is shared between them he remembers fondly and gives thanks to God, seeing it as a gift from him. And, and he does this, he says in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all. Those are, those are expansive words. You know, it's not just sometimes I pray for you or, or I'm thinking about you sometimes or the other day I was praying. No, always in every prayer for you all, I, 
I do this. So we, we established already back in Acts 16 a couple weeks ago how, how Paul, while he was imprisoned and, and, and praying and singing hymns in the middle of the night, uh, he, he had demonstrated that he practiced what he preached, right? That idea that, that we are to pray without ceasing. Or, or as he put elsewhere throughout his epistles, we should rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, as he says in Romans 12. Or in Ephesians 6, where he tells us to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Or in Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. (coughs) And just as he did that night in prison, joyfully praying and singing as he was in a Philippian jail, so too we read in verse 4 with him, you'll recall, imprisoned once more now, making his prayer with joy. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Admittedly, this is a little bit different situation. He's, he's not necessarily in prison in the way we think of, of being, being behind bars, but, but this is more likely the, the imprisonment that we read about in Acts 28, where he, he likely would have been uh, under a house arrest, kind of, chained to a Roman guard. And so, so much the same as Andrew Brunson, who we've been praying for for, uh, for, for a number of years now, he is who, who's in a, under house arrest, uh, no longer in, in a prison, but still imprisoned in many ways. And, and just as kind of a side note to let you know, that, uh, to remind you, October 12th, just coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, Andrew Brunson has a, a, a hearing coming up. Let's double, redouble our efforts in prayer for him. There are some encouraging signs from some of the reports that are coming out that that uh, he, he could very well uh, possibly be released in the, in the next month. So let's definitely keep him in our prayers. <clears throat> so, so we're saying in, in verse 4 here that, that Paul is, is, despite his circumstances, despite the fact that, that he is under arrest, that he has no freedom to go where he would like to go or, or do what he would like to do, still in the midst of this bleak situation... He's able to make his prayer with joy. You know, his joy, you'll note, is not because of my current situation. He doesn't say, I make my prayer with joy because things are going so well for me right now. No, that's not at all what he says. Nor does he say, I'm making my prayer with joy because you guys are so stinking awesome. No, he doesn't say that either, does he? No, he says, I'm making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. The Greek word is koinonia, and, and, and it's often translated fellowship. I, I think partnership probably is a better translation in this instance because, because of the way we use fellowship sometimes. Right? We, we use it as kind of a, a casual thing sometimes, uh, just kind of hanging out with each other. Uh, we have a, a room, right, that's behind us called our fellowship hall. And what do we do in there? Well, we go have donuts and coffee, right? It's kind of a light, friendly thing. But, but, 
the fellowship of which the Bible speaks, the, the partnership, this koinonia, is something far deeper than coffee and donuts. It is, it is more intimate, more personal, more meaningful. It is a sharing in something at a very deep level. It is a mutual participation in something that binds people together. What is it that they're bound together in? Well, they're bound together by, it says, your mutual, because of your partnership in the gospel. That is what it is that, that ties them together. It's their partnership in the gospel. Now you might say, well, what exactly is the gospel to Paul? What does he mean when he speaks of the gospel, the good news, as it were. What, what is the good news? Is the good news a, a list of, of rules or something that we might do, the things that we're supposed to accomplish? No, that's not good news. What the good news is to Paul is outlined in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says this. He says, now, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. So he says, this is the gospel, which you received in which you stand by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, so, so this is what's most important, he says, in the gospel. The gospel has, has broader application and, and maybe some things around the periphery of it. And, and there are other, other things that, that maybe get swept into the, the gospel. But this is what is of central importance to the gospel. This is what is most important in the gospel. This is, this is the very, very kernel, the seed, the nugget that's at the middle of the gospel. This is what it is, he says. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's the very center, the very core. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Beyond that, he goes on, he was buried. He's saying he, he was really dead. Not just kind of dead, not just mostly dead. He was really dead, fully dead, completely dead. And so they buried him. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He was, he was raised in accordance with the, the Old Testament prophecies that said it would occur. He, he was raised from the dead. And what happened after that? He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now we've got to remember that Paul's writing this back then. He's saying this, obviously, this is not the case as we read it. These people are not still alive, right? But when Paul wrote this, they were. What he's saying, in essence, is... is Peter saw them, and the disciples saw them, and over 500 people saw them. And you can go and ask. You can check with them. Don't just take my word for it. Investigate this. Find out. Others will testify. Right? It's not just me making up a story here. You can talk to them. They saw him. Flesh and blood. Bones and all. A living human being. Raised from the dead. He died for us. He rose for us. And then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He 
You see, he's saying that at the center of the gospel, what's most important about this gospel that binds us all together is not some set of rules, not some set of things that we are supposed to do, not, not some label that says we're, we're Presbyterians or we're, we're Baptists or Methodists or Lutherans or whatever we are. What's at the center of it all is the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Right? Because we can have any label we want. We can, we can worship at here or at some other church or, or we, can, we can do whatever we want to do. If we don't have that fact, then we don't have the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Because we deserve to die because of our sins. But he died for us in our place. And so the penalty that we owed has been paid And so the gospel, far from a set of rules or something we need to do, is actually a message. It is good news of something that has already been done. Jesus has accomplished it. You know, uh, I, I think that it is a wonderful truth that Jesus on the cross when he died, what were those, those among his last words that he said? It is finished. It is accomplished. It's actually the, the word telestai in Greek that, that communicates that was actually the same word that was used printed on a, uh, an IOU, right? A bill, you know, when it was paid in full. That's essentially what it meant. Paid in full. It is finished. Paid in full. The debt is paid. It is done. It is accomplished. We need to realize that, that on the cross where Jesus died, our salvation was completely accomplished. It it didn't just make our salvation possible. He accomplished our salvation on that cross. It's not the cross plus our efforts. Not, Not the cross plus our doing these things. No, the cross accomplished our salvation. And that is the gospel. And so, so... We need to trust in Jesus and realize that he he has made us a new creation and he is making all things new. And what a wonderful blessing that is. And that's kind of those extra expanded, you know, as we get out from the core into what God is doing, not just in individuals, but in all of creation. He's making all things new. And so, so the reality is we need to trust in Jesus and depend upon Jesus so that we might be saved from sin and death. Sin to eternal life in the perfection of the new heavens and the new earth. Well, Paul says, uh, you know, that I'm making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, because he's, he's certain that not only is, is God doing the work that he has accomplished up to that point, but the work that he will do in the future, he, he is certain of it that that, that he is going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to fullness. That, that even though we can only see the starting of, of his inbreaking into the world, of setting all things to rights, we know that he will ultimately accomplish this purpose. And he will accomplish it in us as well. I'm sure of this, he says in verse 6, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What a comforting thought for the believer. What a comforting thought that is. Right? It, it's not dependent upon my ability. Right? It's not Jesus started this work in you, Pete. 
And as long as you work really hard and stay out of trouble, he'll bring it to completion. No. He says, I am confident that Jesus will bring it to completion. Why? Because, because he, he preserves us. You know, we, we talk about sometimes tulip and that, that acrostic. It ends with the P. It stands for the, the perseverance of the saints. And I've often said I, I really prefer a different term, the, the preservation of the saints. Really, because we wouldn't persevere were it not for the preservation that God provides. He preserves us. And so it's important to know what Hebrews 13.5 tells us, citing Joshua 1, where, where we read, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that to those who are his. I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you do. No matter how badly you fail. You know, you could be walking with God and showing up at church every Sunday or reading your Bible and praying and serving others and doing everything right, and then one day you really mess up. Really mess up. You sin really big. Not just like one of those, you know, run-of-the-mill sins. I'm talking the big sins. God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. There is forgiveness still. Return to him. My sheep hear my voice, says Jesus, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and none will snatch them from my hand. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that we share in this with one another, bound together by the Father's omnipotent hand. If I am his, no matter how much I wiggle, no matter how much I squirm, no matter how much I try to run away, I'll never get away. Because if I am his, he holds me tightly and loves me unwaveringly. What a wonderful truth that is, this, this gospel, this good news. And so the application for us is, if this is what we have this fellowship in, this, this, this partnership in, this koinonia, if we have this fellowship in the gospel, that ought to be at the center of all of our relationships within the church. You know, it, it, it's great that, you know, maybe you enjoy golf and I enjoy golf and we go play golf together. That's nice. Or maybe... Maybe you like to talk about politics and I like to talk about politics and so we chat about politics over a cup of coffee. Or, or maybe, maybe we like the same arts and crafts and so we do arts and crafts together. We like gardening, so we go garden together. We have all these interests and that's wonderful, that's fine. But at the center of our relationships must be our fellowship in the gospel. Because that goes deeper than any of these other relationships. It goes all the way to the very depths of our being. That's what Paul says here. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. We are connected at the deepest level. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says we're partakers 
together, and here we again see a partnership, you are partakers with me of grace. You might say, well, isn't that really just the, the same thing Pete is saying? You're partakers of the gospel, partakers of grace. And on one level, yes, for sure. It, it can be the same thing for, for Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, right? It's for by grace you have been saved through faith. And so, so to be a partaker of grace is, is to be a partaker of the gospel, the good news. Right? But, but God's grace does more than just save us. It, it, it is a power, there's a power in his grace that, that does more than just save us. It, he, he saves us by his grace, but he also gives us grace to grow. And, and it's by his grace that he keeps us and grows us and, and, and builds us up. And sometimes this building and this growth comes through very difficult situations like Paul is talking about here with his imprisonment. He, that was a hard situation. It was a difficult situation. And sometimes in the midst of difficult situations, people will tell you, and I'm sure somebody probably said this to Paul. Actually, probably not because they probably didn't have the same little things as us. But, but somebody, I can just imagine, somebody came to Paul, you know, was visiting him one day, and Paul's like, man, this is tough. I'm in prison right now. I'm, I'm, I'm chained to this guy. I have no privacy. I can't do anything. I can't come. I can't go. And somebody probably said to Paul, Paul, don't worry about it. God's not going to give you anything more than you can handle. Right? That's what people tell you all the time. Right? Don't worry. God won't give you anything more than you can handle. What a load of bunk. God absolutely will give you more than you can handle. He will do it all the time. He will give you far more than you could possibly dream of handling. But you know what he won't do? He won't give you more than he can handle. He won't give you more than he can handle. And by his grace, through his spirit, he will, he will give you the grace to handle it. Not because you can handle it, but because he can. Because he, he wants you to be weak so that he can be strong and he can make his strength known through you. And so by his grace, he does this. And oftentimes he does it through his people. And he will, he will through his people, show you love and support and care and compassion and, and kindness through the people of God. That's what, what Paul is saying here, I think, is that, that through the, the love and support and care and compassion and kindness of the, the people of God and through their prayers, the grace of God has been made manifest in them, even though he was in prison. If it was an easy thing, he could just endure it. He wouldn't need any of that support. But he needs it. He needs the grace of God to endure. And in the face of a different trial, Paul, Paul once said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, that's why we, we grieve with those who grieve. We grieve with those who grieve that we might experience the grace of God with those who experience it. We can come alongside them. We can be conduits of grace to them, but we can also be receptacles of grace in that. We can receive the grace of God. And the Philippians have certainly done that. And that's why Paul says here, for, for God is my witness, in verse 8, how I yearn for all of you with the, all the, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all with knowledge and all discernment. It's not just a, a natural affection he had, not just a natural love. It was the love and affection of Christ. 
It was, it was a supernatural love. And it's a love that came to him as the fruit of righteousness. And that's kind of the final partnership that I see here as, as we partner in that. See what he says in verse 9. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, there is a, a change that should take place in you if you are a Christian. If you trust in Christ, there's a change. You should, you should have growth. You should have, have, have difference in you. You shouldn't look like the same person a year later or five years later or ten years later. You should, you should be a different person, a, a new creation even. The problem is sometimes it's hard to tell because, because part of your growth and holiness will be, be you'll become more sensitive to sin. In your own life. And so you might even feel like you're a, a, a greater sinner now than you were back before when you weren't as holy. Because, because you realize in your life, these little things that I thought were no big deal actually are a huge deal. They're cosmic treason. And I need the blood of Christ to wash me clean. And so we grow in our holiness. Not not a holiness that we drum up within ourselves so that we might earn the blessing of God, but rather we have a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And we are filled, Paul says, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying here is these, these acts of love these acts of kindness are not in and of themselves righteousness. They don't attain righteousness. They don't achieve righteousness in and of themselves. Rather, they are the fruit of righteousness. What is a fruit but, but that which a tree produces or a plant produces, right? The fruit of that plant is, is what it produces. And what he's saying here is essentially that, that through Jesus Christ... We receive righteousness, his righteousness. And that righteousness produces fruit, which is acts of love and kindness. And so they are the fruits of righteousness that come from Christ. That's what he's saying. So let us all remember that. Let us mark our lives with those fruits, not because they earn anything from God, but because God has shown us his mercy and his grace, because we have received the benefits of the gospel, let us live lives of kindness and love, especially for those who are in our midst, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, not just for our own well-being, but ultimately, as he puts it, to the glory of and praise of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do praise you and we thank you. And we pray that you would help us indeed to grow in holiness, that you would, by your grace, continually make us new. And we rejoice that we can be certain that just as you have begun a work in us, you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So we long for that day. We pray.
pray even now. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.